I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. been a lot in the press this week about bulldogs and cavalier king charles spaniels the breeding of which has been banned in norway that's why we're delighted to be jumping on zoom to talk to rebecca walters from the pup start breeders accreditation to learn about what she's offering to help people understand how to breed dogs ethically rebecca so lovely to speak to you on A Dog's Life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You kindly invited me to do a talk on feeding raw in your recent conference. It's all about your initiative, which is called Pup Start Breeders. Explain a bit more. Okay, so I started my working life in rescue and I in London, actually, in rescue, not far from you, to be honest, um, London Borough of Waltham Forest. Oh. And during during my time there, I did an awful lot of work with rescue dogs. Um, I was an animal warden, and so we would take a lot of dogs in. Lots of stray dogs would end up in kennels. And I, unfortunately, had the task of um, being the person that had to have some of those animals put to sleep um, because when their time in kennels runs out... Um, and the budget runs out and nobody wants them these animals are destroyed it's a it's a sad fact of of what happens in rescue and I really wanted to get into the why of this repeated cycle and I started to think to myself you know these dogs are here not because of health problems um, you know but because of behavioral problems and why are so many of these dogs having behavioral problems so I started to look into this and really and really dive into these areas and it's because they've been badly bred in the first place so my my kind of my kind of little personal mission is to improve breeding standards improve welfare standards um, to 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 raise the bar for breeders and to to educate breeders and that's that's the that's the motivation behind behind the business really so yeah that's where it started no gosh gosh there's a lot to talk about about you know the seven days that dogs are yeah. in rescue and the yeah. fact that chips migrate and they I do. know a lot of dogs have been euthanized when indeed they did have a chip and the owner was there but seven days isn't a very long time and there have been those tragedies as well but but that's an issue for another podcast Rebecca I think it's amazing what you're doing because you know people listening now might be thinking dog breeders oh my god they they should all be shot you know we shouldn't breed dogs at all we should only rescue however what I say to people who say that is well think about it it would basically mean in 15 or so years time there would be no dogs absolutely absolutely <laughs> so and, and I know you know breeding has really come into the fore in the papers and everywhere you know through the pandemic as I think the pandemic has finally you know one of the good things about it in a way is that it's highlighted the unscrupulous and the scandalous breeders that have duped people, sold people puppies that have then died only like three days after they've got them home. 
you know, people buying puppies that have been flown from Japan, you know, over to London, you know, that's not about, right? (laughs) Completely. And what I love there is that you said that the pandemic has highlighted this. And I think that, you know, for me, that's a really important statement because this has been going on for years. It's just that because of the pandemic and the the, uh, sort of instant need for everybody to have a dog, it has brought it to the fore. But this has been going on all of the illegal practices that we speak about in the papers, you know, over the last current months and the, and the reporting that's been done on the, on the puppy pandemic. These are all issues that we have been faced with for as long as I've been working in the dog industry. You know, it, it, these are not new things. And anybody in rescue will tell you that at the moment it's, it's just been amplified, but they are the same problems we've been facing for a long time. So in some ways... I guess if you want to call it a silver lining, if it's highlighted in, it's brought it to the bear, it gives us an opportunity to address it properly. It's brought it into the public eye and hopefully we can start to, you know, springboard from the position that we're in and utilise the, the, the fact that it's now out there as much more public knowledge and we can, we can make some serious changes. Yes, uh, let's hope so. I mean, you're right, it has been going on for ages. And, you know, when you think it took, gosh, about 15 years for Lucy's law to become law, and that there was, you know, reticent from some surprising organisations, big dog welfare charity, didn't want Lucy's law to be passed for the fear that it would stop dogs going into their rescue. And you know, rescue centres that have no dogs in their rescue centres aren't going to carry on trading, are they? Any money. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm talking very reticently here. Um, however, so, yes, and and there's nothing wrong with people, you know, wanting a dog in their life, is there, Rebecca, providing people Not are right. aware yeah. of, yeah, the health benefits, you know, the great, great rewards that we all get from bringing a dog into our life. However, people must be committed to a dog they must understand that it's not just you know a Sunday that you walk your dog and people must be informed and I think that's also where in recent years it everything's gone a bit skewed I would say mainly because of the internet you know I'm I'm a bit older than you so I remember buying a dog before the internet was around okay so there was no buying online available you know but we need pup start breeders I think and we've got these new guidelines haven't we coming in on the 1st of February so this is all very topical which I'd love to talk to you about Rebecca I mean what do you think of these new DEFRA dog breeding guidelines? Okay, well, I've, I've, you know, obviously spent hours and hours <laughs> going through them because, as with any question, uh, it's not the most straightforward document to interpret. So um, it's taken quite a lot of time and effort and collaboration between myself and and lots of other experienced breeders and people people who I respect for their opinions. Going through it, literally combing through the document, I think some of it actually is really exciting, mm-hmm. and some of it clearly has taken a lot of thought uh, an awful lot of preparation and consideration but unfortunately some of it 
fall short of the mark in, in certain areas for me. What what areas? I've only scanned it um, earlier today, okay, and I've compared it briefly with the last set of regulations that out in 2018. So it seems that this tightening up is indeed a reaction to the pandemic. But it does seem to be mimicking or being exactly the same as um, the Kennel Club's um, Assured Breeders Scheme guidelines. Far from it. Um, obviously, I'm a crossbreed breeder, so I don't you know the kennel club assured breeder scheme is not something that i am um versed with but um they the the, the i think the thing for me is initially there's this gray area around whether you do in fact need a license or not do i fall in or out of scope and and i think that it isn't clear for people so what they've tried to do with the new guidance is they've tried to tighten up the areas around um, whether you are considered to be a business or not. And that is a good thing because with free internet um, advertising sites and the ability to make yourself a website in 20 minutes and set yourself up as somebody who is, you know, breeding dogs, put a couple of glossy photographs of some cute puppies on. And of course, people are going to come along and look at that website, think that it's a decent shop window and purchase from you. So what, what the guidance is trying to do is, is say that if you are somebody who behaves that way and if you are somebody who has a website and advertises puppies for sale, you do need a licence. If you breed three or more litters per year, you need a licence. If you make a sale commission or profit from the sale of a puppy, you do need a licence. So basically, if you want to interpret that lots of different ways, as it is being interpreted in many, many different ways, I mean, I see that as good it's myself. Good. It's yeah. good. You know, basically, if you're breeding dogs, you need a license. Super. That's wonderful. But what happens if you really, you know, you're a breeder because you do breed two litters of puppies mm. a year mm. or yeah. one litter of puppies a year? Or one litter every three years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know. Then that's where it falls short, right? Because you've got yeah, to breed three litters a year or or that's what the guidelines suggest. Yeah. When in fact, actually, if you really look into the, the Kennel Club Assured Breeders Scheme, how you interpret it. OK, yeah. it's a bit like with tighter testing, actually, you know, it says you have to do it every three years, but you could do it every year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and this is this is the problem with it. You know, it's it's interpretation. It's interpretation between the pe- the, the breeders themselves reading it at home, thinking to themselves, do does this apply to me or not? So that's their interpretation. Then you have the interpretation of the people who are, who are going to be enforcing these licenses. So you've got your, your trading standards and you've got your um, inspectors within local authorities and they're going to interpret it. They're humans. They're going to interpret it differently up and down the country. Um, so, you know, where one person says, I don't need a license because I don't breed more than three litres a year. No, fine. You might breed one litre a year, but you're making a profit and you have a website. You see, yeah, so therefore yeah. you need a license. And so, it, and it, and, but some people will say, no, 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 no. It's, it's or, not and or, you see. And this is where these grey areas uh, come in. Um and it causes a huge amount of anxiety for people. You know, this is a, you know, what I'm seeing on the breeder forums, the response to it, it are anxious people. You know, they've come across in a very angry way, but actually they're scared. They're like, please don't threaten what I do with my beloved dogs because not all breeders are Cruella de Vil, contrary to popular belief. You know, 
most oh, I know start breeding because they love dogs exactly because- well you've hit the nail on the head there and you know I looking I mean it's a very long um pdf and yeah. a lot of it you know is getting to you know adequate enrichment must be provided for the dogs you know really spelling out the size of the kennels for the yeah. weight of the dog yeah. access obviously to fresh water you know we're talking and then what made me giggle was you know and ensuring that your dogs get a good diet (laughs) a little ironic as from where I'm sitting you know you know often the diet that your vet might prescribe really has been proven scientifically to not be the best diet exactly so So, there we are back to interpretation exactly on the diet aspect I could see that could cause you know if the vet that came around to license your premises loved um, prescription diets and saw that you had a freezer full of you know complete balanced raw food from a you know well-known brand they might go oh no no because you feed your dogs on raw I can't possibly have that you Mm. simply have to have the prescription diet that I sell in my vet practice exactly and you know one of the other elements to it is um you know you know in terms of how it's going to affect me personally is um I've got to have a dog catching pole on site. I didn't see that right. bit. Yeah, got to have right. a dog catching pole, which is fine. Okay. I can get a dog catching pole. I know how to operate one. I used to be a dog warden. That's cool. That's absolutely fine. Okay. If you approach one of my dogs with a dog catching pole, they're going to be really frightened of you. You can just approach one of my dogs with a lead and put it on its collar and ask it to come with you. Alternatively, you could just call the dog's name and one of my dogs is going to come to you. That's not a problem because they're friendly, balanced, happy animals. They don't need a dog catching pole. And, you know, like there are elements to it like that. And I'm making light of this particular area. is all a bit tongue in cheek. But, you know, I mean, come on. How many people that are breeding, you know, I don't know, papillions at home, you know, cutesy, cutesy little dogs, a dog catching pole really <laughs> that's so funny so what, what's their reasoning that you have to have a dog catching pole on site appreciate but and because it's the one size fits all that you know presumably you're talking about a large commercial establishment that would have dogs that weren't socialized properly that wouldn't be caught you know in the event of an emergency they might be frightened and you might have to use a dog catching pole I get it I get the the, the premise behind it but can you imagine being the breeder that has got four or five dogs sleeping on the rug in your in the front room Mm-mm. that now has to go out and purchase a dog catching pole and have it it's just you know and this is the problem it's the it's the one size fits all and it does within the guidance distinguish between home breeders and and kennel breeders it does but it doesn't go far enough that and that's for me where it falls short there's not enough of a allowances for the local um inspectors to treat home breeders differently to kennel breeders they don't have the ability to apply things according to the actual premises person dogs that they are seeing I hear you but do you think you know looking at the bigger picture here that these guidelines might make a difference to stop puppy on being given a license I mean you know you've got the flip side here there are some awful places that are like beyond hell where loads of dogs suffer uh, like awful suffering (laughs) constantly you know but these places get licenses how does that happen because they tick the boxes of the license and the licensing you know having been a licensing inspector I can tell you that you you are faced with issues 
when you are dealing with somebody who is earning a lot of money out of breeding dogs. Yeah, but hang on, listen, listen from the guidelines I read, you know, they're, they're quite good. I could think, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's no way that those guidelines mirror what I've seen on many a documentary goes on inside a puppy farm. But that's every walk of life, isn't it? That's every walk of life. You know, wherever there are licensing guidelines, it's to improve the health and welfare. There will always be people who don't abide by them, get away with it, flout the rules. These people are criminal. They're not just mm. puppy farm, they're criminal. You know, they're, they're people who are, it's it's almost like, like I, I always sort of um, compare the two things. So it's like comparing, comparing dog breeders, ethical dog breeders to puppy farmers is like comparing pharmacists to drug dealers. Okay, no, interesting. It, 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 you know, like wherever that. there is money to be made, there will be people who are going to flout the rules and they will make a pretty enrichment room and they will have a shiny front of office that the licensing inspectors get to see. Well, not all the ones I've seen. I mean, I don't, but we digress. You know, know, there is still a lot, you know, that needs to be done on that, on that level of life. You know, there's um, unquestionably, I mean, you know, dogs living in domestic environments that are not being bred from that are living in horrendous conditions. Absolutely. With people who don't really know what a dog is and just think, I know let's breed a litter of puppies. That's going to pay my tax bill next year or something, you know, but, but it did seem in the new guidelines that the advertising requirements do seem to be stricter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely they they have um, they've started to look at. I know for a fact they're looking at uh, the free websites. You know, are people advertising multiple adverts, multiple breeds, multiple litters? Started to tighten up how many adverts you can place to provide them with a copy of your license if you advertise more than three litters in a twelve month period, etc. So there are changes moving forward, and, and again, fantastic because that clamps down you know if these if people who are illegally selling do not have a vehicle upon which to sell super no absolutely I mean we're all victim you know this click one click society you know and uh the internet you know has got so many negatives attached to it yeah to be honest with you I think and I always say you know dogs are are it's ironic because for me dogs are an antidote to this overload of technology that swamps our lives now yeah they're sentient beings you know it's not hello it's not i'm going to order my dinner for the week click no no absolutely people spend more time researching what car they're going to buy than what Mm. dog and of course that leads into a whole nother conversation about you know you as a breeder vetting the people that might ring you up saying that they want a hang on are they schnoodles or are they sproodles so i cross english springer spaniels with poodles okay can i ask though why you do that rebecca because uh, what's the purpose what, right so what... back back to my the purpose is to breed well-rounded balanced family pets so going back to my previous um employment when we when we lived in london the dogs that were in rescue centers unfortunately many of them weren't fit for purpose many what of do them you mean? were what so do you mean were, fit for purpose so they were working breeds that were cooped up in um, homes and in environments that weren't suitable for them. Yeah, but surely but, that's not the dog's fault, not, not the breed's all. fault. N- not at all. I love pedigree dogs, okay? I was going to Crufts with my mum's best friend, my auntie Pip, when I was eight. I was grooming Anne Wynyard's Bray Duke Tibetan Spaniels when I was eight <laughs> before oh. they went in the ring. Well, it's easy to groom a Tibetan. You just use a mason pierce on hairbrush and brush up 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 and then brush down (laughs) flout the shoulders up a bit 
top of the head, just smooth it down, floof the tail, and in oh, you go. Oh, you're a pro. You Absolutely. are a pro. I mean, you, know, you don't need any of these gadgets or sprays or whatever for it. That was how one did it, right? And everything. And I thought I was obsessed by Tibetan Spaniels. Um, and I, I had one. Um, I was nine. And um, anyway, but I find the breeds, they define our history. Yeah, and they're as, wonderful. As, you know, and I know you've got a, ger- a German wirehead um, pointer, yeah. which, you know, I, I was surprised. I didn't know you had that dog. And we met, didn't we, at Discover Dogs, which was brilliant just um, in November. I, I was surprised, Rebecca. Sorry, please don't hate me for saying that. Um, I just, I just, you know, I love poodles and I love cocker spaniels. I mean, my dog when I was 17 was a rescue cocker from um, the National Canine Defence League. Her name was Minnie. Oh. Yeah, because my dad was secretary of the Shropshire branch of the RSPCA, you see, when I was growing up. So I learned about some hideous animal cruelty, yeah. which obviously defined you it know does. my whole sense. And, you know, generally speaking, I'm pretty suspicious of the human condition. I remember when I met my first cockapoo, I was living on Lambs Conduit Street at the time and saw this golden so fluffy dog coming towards him. And first I thought, oh look it's a cocker spaniel and I love cockers because of you know mini and then I looked closer and I thought no that's that's not a cocker and then we got chatting and they were this American couple just moved to London now this is a long time ago before you saw any and this was before I had Molly so this would have been about 2001 okay Mm -hmm. and and they explained no she's a cockapoo you know we got into this whole conversation and I was like you know wow you know and I kind of went home and I kind of thought gosh you know cockapoos wow you know and um this just came and went really didn't really think any more about it but it worries me in terms of is there any regulation at all around crossbreeding I mean is there any is it really ethical to cross a beagle with a pug go for it Rebecca Oh, are you sure you want my answer on that one? <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. Oh, no, no, um, definitely. Okay, so why do I do what I do, first of all? So I do what I do because I want to breed family pets for people. Mm. And historically, English Springer Spaniels were bred for working purposes. Mm. And some of those dogs would make the grade as working dogs. We had Springers. They were, yeah. that's what I grew up with in yeah. the family home. They wonderful were dogs. Wonderful, really dogs. wonderful dogs. Right. They make and brilliant then, family yeah, pets, Rebecca. They Well, they do. For the right for the right hearts where the breeder comes in right Right. to make sure you are a capable human being of looking after an English spring a spaniel are clear on what your obligations will be exactly compared to somebody who might for example want a pug those are two in my view those are two different human beings with totally different lifestyles totally different parts of the country one I would say should be in a shire the other doesn't have to be in a shire but a pug can also live in a shire but where English springers are concerned I'm not sure that they should live in London no quite and that was what I saw a lot of um when I was in animal you know in the animal warden role I saw an awful lot of dogs in a place they just shouldn't have been and I don't mean shouldn't have been in a rescue centre I mean border collies in East London I mean English Springer Spaniels in East like you know it's not the right environment for them um and, and and this is why I believe that the poodle crosses have become so popular if they're bred correctly they are the sort of watered down, slightly more trainable with an off switch dog that people can handle. And yes, there are grooming requirements that go alongside that. Um, can I yes, say, Rebecca, I know, but I mean, crumbs. 
I have seen so many mental cockapoos mm. because unfortunately, they're but that's what online. I'm saying about the breed, the breeding correctly, and and it goes back to breeder education because if you are breeding them correctly and you're correctly selecting your stock in the first place, a very very high energy working cocker spaniel would not be crossed with a um, neurotic poodle with separation anxiety, and that's where you see your crazy cockapoos. Well, but separation anxiety, in my mind, is trained. Yeah, but it yeah, but it can also be inherited, and it, it anxiety generally, yes, and poodles yes. are yes. Hockey, yes, you know they're, exactly. they're they're highly strong, they're extremely intelligent. I mean, arguably, they are, they are. The extremely trainable, extremely yeah, trainable. Exactly. So, if a breeder is if a breeder is really knowledgeable and has been educated on how to select the correct dogs to be mated in the first place the resulting puppies should be balanced and well-rounded and whether that's crossing a, a cocker spaniel with a poodle or an english um, springer spaniel with a poodle if you do it properly then you know with thought and with with knowledge of the lines then you get the, the puppy pie tastes nice at the end of the recipe. That's the point of breeders is that you don't just throw two random dogs together and go, oh, look what I made. Yes. Yeah, so, but how are these guidelines going to stop what you just said? The latter. I know you don't do it. I'm being devil's advocate. I know. No, no, no. It's but, fine. Uh, you know, it's fine. but so how? how well, does I don't that know that they I don't know that they are going to stop it. Um, I don't know that they are going to stop it because I think that there, there are breeders out there who are breeding breeds that are completely the opposite type of dog well like a puggle yeah and so you know when you're breeding a sprudel for example both parents come from breeds that were retrieval breeds poodles used to retrieve and so do spaniels so actually their mindset the way their brain works their history yes they're a different breed but they actually have a very similar thinking mechanism in their mind um, if you cross a guarding breed with a herding breed for example moving away from the poodle crosses let's not you know, just, just, you know, lots of people cross lots of different breeds. Um, it's not always the poodle cross brigade, but, you know, when you're crossing, say, herding and guarding, for example, you can get a whole heap of problems that come from that. So I think the, the guidance refers to dogs being, um, dogs being registered with an, a national organisation, a UK organisation that can provide evidence of um, coefficiency, health testing and lineage. Um, and the only one that I'm aware of for that, obviously, is the Kennel Club. So mm. that will but be surely that will be that, fine for first generation crosses. I was going to say, you yeah. know, what happens then without a register like the Kennel Club? How do you monitor that? Because well, you don't have isn't. a pedigree, do no. you? So you do, well, you, a good breeder will obviously be keeping clear records of, of how their dogs are bred. Um, and, you know, they will be making sure that they can document and evidence where their dogs have come from there'll be a line of health tests there'll be a line of parentage even if the dogs are crossbreeds which you can make them on your own computer you don't need the kennel club's registry to do that for you um, no no you know, i realize excel I spreadsheet you'll do but that it, you know yeah um, yeah but it's something oh a, a caller mentioned ages ago actually on um barking hour it was like you know once this because at the moment, everyone really wants, or I'm led to believe, they, they want an F1. So yeah. they want the first cross. First cross. But, yeah, yeah. But then say if someone's got their cockapoo and they think, oh, I really mm. want to breed from her. So yeah. they find another cockapoo. They won't know if those 
cockapoos are related no and, and i mean and unless so you, by accident research yeah yeah, yeah you exactly. could actually be you know you putting could. brother and sister together or something which goes totally against what the kennel club is has really campaigned for and is really i believe succeeding in completely gene co-inefficiency which you know but completely. you know it's about outcrossing rather than inbreeding mm. yeah look i mean but it, it must be something that the whole sector if you like is aware of isn't it Completely. And, you know, again, anybody ethical is going to be keeping stringent records. Rarely are people breeding cockapoo to cockapoo. It's usually cockapoo back to a poodle, for example. Um, but for those people who are breeding second or third generation, you know, multi-generation doodles, for example, they are doing their research. They're keeping documentation. I mean, I know of a guy who um, breeds multi-generation Labradoodles and he's got more lineage and history and health testing evidence than I think anybody else I know. I mean, the guy is absolutely phenomenal because these people are passionate about crossbreeding and what comes with being passionate about crossbreeding is keeping very clear records on what <laughs> you're crossing. You know, yeah. the, the two things go hand in hand. Again, it goes back to the breed of education. If you are educated in knowing what to breed, how to breed, how to select the dogs correctly, plan your matings properly. If you're educated in, in those areas, errors like line breeding, where you're breeding father to daughter or brothers to sisters or cousins to cousins, it doesn't happen. Ethical <laughs> breeders don't do those kind of things, you know. No, and know. They're, they're the kind of people who are quite happy to adhere to the guidance. We, we, so, we're in favour of it, you know. Okay, so do you get people ringing, though, that kind of want a dog that doesn't molt I mean how do, what do you say yeah to we do we do we get a lot of people who want um no my, my response is look everything in the world molts I molt you molt we all molt it's to do with the dander in the follicle it isn't to do with the, the hair per se um regarding you know allergy we have lots of people regarding allergies we have lots of people contacting us regarding allergies yeah um and I say yeah that's fine it's not going to molt so much but it is going to cover your house in mud because it's a spring of spaniel cross yeah no so, no you know and then the other thing I know you look it's health testing and that is yes. um in these new guidelines and I know you obviously health test and I think yes. you know and obviously as you say ethical breeders will health test but there is a misnomer out there oh there's certainly was that you know you get a, a crossbreed and it's going to be healthier than a pedigree rubbish. Um, we, rubbish yeah um explain why then that that is rubbish <laughs> because it's a living breathing creature and it can inherit disease and uh, illness just the same as a pedigree it doesn't make any difference <laughs> it can uh, health it, testing yeah. you can you can preempt can't you as much as possible oh completely but... and at the end of the day they can still be tested there are laboratories in the UK that have tests specifically for crossbreeds now. Um, and if you have a, say, for example, you were going to breed from an F1 um, cockapoo, you can go to a laboratory. I won't name any names, but there are laboratories in the UK. You can go to and get a whole testing kit for cockapoo, a DNA testing kit specifically for cockapoos. And what they're testing for are the hereditary diseases, the DNA that um, affects both the cocker spaniel and the poodle. So what's um, that? That's obviously PRA, primary retinal atrophy. And what would it be in the cocker span? That's in the poodle, um, a blindness um, Cocker spaniels, it's a whole host of eye stuff. Um, it's, I know, to be honest with you, I don't breed cockapoos, so they're not my, they're no, not no. my thing. But for the, for the English Springer Spaniels, it's FUCO that we test for, FN, um, shaking puppy syndrome, uh, the PRA, 
FN we test for and then hips and elbows that's obviously not in the DNA but hips and elbows and then we eye test on an annual basis eye testing would apply to cocker spaniels um, I'm not sure about hips and elbows for cockers as I say I breed sprudels so they're not cockapoos are not my breed but you know th- there's a whole list um, that's available and you can um, actually those lists if people are listening want to know where those lists are if you look at the dog breeders reform group they have all of the health tests listed for the breeds in a very, very clear way. There's like a PDF per breed and you can look at them and it will tell you very clearly and specifically what health tests are not just the required health tests from the kennel club. It's the health tests for the breed that the breed clubs, the breeders, the owners, um, several vets have consulted on and the kennel club have been involved. Um, But there's more comprehensive lists of testing there than there would be on the um, kennel club website because they um, uh, will inform you about what are the required health tests that's different to what are the available health tests they're two different things no it's great and you know all of this all you know the internet and just passionate people like yourself Rebecca you know are making a difference you know and I think where it's got to filter down is to the general public really people who have never had a dog before they don't know where to go and buy one they've seen a puggle and they've fallen in love with puggles Mm. and they google I want to buy a puggle and so how are we gonna stop people ending up getting a puppy farmed puggle again it's just through education isn't it we've just got we've got to um get the message out to people that they are as i said before they're sentient beings it's not just a purchase it's not i'm going to buy a new pair of curtains for the front room it's about enabling people to still have you know freedom of choice and and be able to go out there and meet people and and meet but giving them the tools in their toolbox owner tools in their toolbox to say you know I want to be asking these breeders some questions I want to see a copy of their license I want to speak to people that have bought puppies from them before I want to have a look and see if they've got reviews I mean I know breeders that are now building reviews on review websites Really, so yes. that people can actually go and say, look, here, here are people that have bought from me before. You know, GDPR, we can't go giving out everybody's email addresses and Facebook contacts. But, you know, at the end of the day, people want to know that we've bred puppies in the past that are healthy, balanced and happy living in their homes. And breeders that are starting to build up reviews and testimonials and, and are a really, really good way of owners trying to find that. But we need to get that information over to people. And people just need to learn to stop being so impulsive a good breeder you're gonna to have to wait yeah that's the w word that nobody wants to hear these days you know you i want the puppy next week you have to go on a waiting list you're gonna yeah. get grilled by a breeder well, you should and, get grilled by a breeder you know yeah um, no i bet you do grill people actually i can i get that feeling <laughs> <laughs> no comment <laughs> And and quite right, you know, and that's a sign then, actually, for anyone listening. If someone's quite horrible to you and you ring up about a puppy, that's the person you want to be getting your puppy from, not somebody that says, yes, funnily enough, I've got a puggle, you can pick him up tomorrow. No, forget it. Delete, delete, delete. Delete. Enter those things. We've got an application form that um, potential um, families have to complete before I even converse with people and a lot of them just get binned um, and then there are people that I read the application form and I'm excited for them because I think oh wow I've got a puppy here that's going to be great for you and when I say I've got a puppy here I mean there will be a puppy here in two years time for you because my waiting list is extensive and we don't breed 
we don't have puppies here all the time, basically. So people have to wait. But um, I get excited when great families come forward and they're, they've done their research. You know, when the opening line of their email is, I've been researching sprudels and I think a sprudel would really fit into our family life because we're busy, active people with, you know, we a passion for walking and we want to do some dog training and we want to have, you know, holidays where we bring the dog and go to the beat. And I'm like, yes, you. Oh, I'm delighted that sort of happens actually it does. I mean lots really of great people out there lots of great it's not all doom and gloom there are lots of great great people out there that are living happy lives with puppies that have been bought from breeders it's not all doom and gloom but yeah indeed dog lovers and animal lovers and let's hope you know that this is exciting you know when I mean Prudence is only six and a half you weren't going then and um, it's really brilliant that Pup Start Breeders is an actual you know initiative it's a community isn't it and, it and it's really an education is. forum yeah we've got some absolutely super breeders so we've We've recently launched the um, first level three qualification for dog breeders. So pre- previous to that qualification being launched, there wasn't actually a qualification that breeders could get. And these are off qual ones, off qual regulated. Yeah, and I find it staggering that there wasn't, you know, as much as breeders are criticised, there wasn't actually anywhere for them to learn to do it properly in the first place. I find that amazing. But we've 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 launched this qualification. It's been really well received. We've we've got twenty five breeders on the on the January course and we're we've just finished the first unit and I've been sitting here marking their work and it's been oh you know I've got such a great gang of people and they're just perfect they're community orientated people they're supporting one another we've got experienced breeders and not so experienced breeders and obviously these these the guidelines and the guidance that has just been released has been a, a real topic of conversation between them all but they're all doing their best to adhere to it and be honorable and and, and to you know to breed good dogs for the future and you know the guidance talks about um, qualifications it talks about the need for them it is a bit of a gray area whether they're gonna um, whether they're gonna say that you definitely have to have a, a level two whether you're an existing breeder or only if it applies to you if you're um, just applying for a license a new license or whether it's going to apply to existing license holders mm. um, and also there's some question around some people are interpreting it that you only need qualifications if you've got staff which I think is bonkers because I don't really see what the staff have to do with it. If you're breeding dogs, you need qualifications. Staff, what well, I don't really see how that would affect whether you know what you were doing or not. <laughs> I don't yeah, see the sure. correlation there. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, for people with access to the internet, but if you've got somebody who's, you know, I don't know, 70, um, been breeding chihuahuas and papillons in bull terriers for 50 years brilliantly. Why would they have to suddenly do these exams? Yeah, and that they, that's where the backlash comes. A lot of people are like, hang on a minute, why have I got to do this? My only answer to that would be because it means that you can be proud of what you do for once. Because well, we I think do. they already are proud of what they do. So but I mean, you it's, can't it's say the they're acknowledgement. not. It's the acknowledgement. Well, We've never been considered you know something we we breed people's best friends especially for the people that have been doing it for all those years and haven't had the certificate hanging on the wall to go yeah do you know what look at me I'm qualified at what I do and I'm proud of it and it's great and I'm acknowledged for it um because we're not we're a we're a set of people who are classed you know if you say to people there's like like a stigma if you say to people you know what do you do for a living I'm a dog breeder you 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 say it looking at your feet it's like (laughs) a like socially unacceptable um, and yet we're here breeding people's best friends. It's bonkers. 
Um, so I think, you know, I say to those people who, who are saying, you know, I don't need to do this qualification. I said, first and foremost, every day is a school day. And if you've been breeding for 50 years, unless you've been doing your CPD every year, year in, year out, there will be things you can brush up on because that's just the nature of life. Well, it um, is. I mean, you know, look at diets as being right, you exactly. know, my, my 50 big years thing ago, in life. We weren't feeding raw, were we? You know, like. Well, so, no, actually, 50 years ago, we probably were feeding well, raw, maybe, Rebecca. Yeah, but... Actually, it's only been in the last um, 30 years that it's gone you know the other way to ultra processed and you know big food companies but we're not here to sort of really go into nutrition in a big deal but no 50 years ago dogs were eating um, a much better diet I would um, say and dogs actually were living longer you've got to correlate that with the amount of I know running out of time here now but we could talk for ages I'm quite informed on all this Um, but you know um, all of the you know, mandatory vaccination certificates and you know the fleas and the wormers that set guidelines in everything, which there's a lot of science out there to say that actually it's not really good you shouldn't be fleeing worming and, every month um, it's too much so, chemical and yeah exactly completely. exactly so you know look it's an interesting debate and I've, I've so enjoyed chatting Rebecca and I'd love you to come back actually and oh. one day I don't know that I've yeah. met I can't say it I keep wanting to say schnoodle but I know they're not it's a it's it's Sproodle. a sprudel. It's a sprudel. It's a sprudel. You will have to journey up to Shropshire and we well, my introduce vet. you to some sprudels. I know. Well, my vet is very near to where you actually live, which is also part of this kind of, you know, part of the reason. Well, I don't on. want to see you if you've got to come to the vet because that will mean that one of your dogs is not well. So I know. Well, we just come for the, you know, well-being and everything and then camp in um, a bell tent on her organic dairy farm. Oh, um, Barbara Jones of the Oakwood Practice in case people are interested um so yes Rebecca I will um see you at Crufts and I can't wait you will Sally and I will come and find you fantastic thanks again Rebecca all right see you again Anna thank you bye-bye that's our show Mr Binks what did you think yes it is very interesting about whether to go pedigree or designer crossbreed And you're right, it is time for Woof of the Week. If you're thinking about breeding a litter, why not contact Rebecca at Pupstart Breeders and learn about her course, as it could pay dividends and give you a fantastic accreditation. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. A big thank you, of course, to my producer, Mike Hansen. Find out more about him and his company at Pod People UK. For more about me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you are right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe now? That way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now.